Good morning. Um, if during Keen Heans you'd like to get some tea, please do so. It's in the kitchen on the side table in their cups, and you can kind of put your cup in some place that you know it's yours. Quite the day outside today, yesterday and today. This is like Rochester. I, I thought, I thought I escaped this. <laughs> Clearly not. So yesterday, I believe, yesterday was December 8th, Rohatsu, or um, Buddha's Enlightenment Day, and we'll be celebrating that tomorrow here in the Zendo. So in honor of the Buddha, I thought we would take a look at a case, a koan, that features the Buddha. Um, but before we do, just the appreciation that this tradition has come out of one person, in a sense, and has lasted over two and a half millennium. It's just amazing to me that one person could have such an influence in the world for good. Just to reflect on that, we never know what our influence will be on others. This is why we practice the precepts and practice doing good for others because our actions really do impact the world. And if we don't take that seriously, then we're apt to, to actually do more harm than good. And do you remember that when the Buddha had his great experience under the bow tree, afterwards he really wasn't sure if he could even, even, even share it with anybody because it was such a profound experience that could not be explained. And so, of course, he was tempted to just be. But thankfully, he took the path of teaching. <clears throat> so, this is case number one from the Book of Serenity, or the Book of Equanimity. This is a koan collection. This is a book of a hundred cases that we work on in our tradition. Traditionally, it's a Soto koan book, and that may seem uh, paradoxical because in traditional Soto practice, they do not work on, we do not work on koans as um, a part of Zazen practice. Uh, but nonetheless, um, the master who assembled and compiled this book uh, found great value in these cases. And so in our tradition, this is the third major book of koans that we work on. First, we uh, do a breakthrough koan. And once somebody has seen 
um, even a glimpse of, with clarity, the emptiness of all things. Uh, even if it's just a glimpse, we move through what are called the miscellaneous koans into the Mumon Khan, the Gateless Gate, which is a collection of 48 koans, into the Blue Cliff Record, which is a collection of 100 cases, the Book of Serenity, which today's case is from, and then the Transmission of the Light, and then the Precept Koans and the Five Ranks. So these are all make up this very thorough koan curriculum that Hakuin Zenji, the teacher who reformed Zen in Japan in the 18th century, uh, he created this very strong Rinzai master, created this koan curriculum to really keep people's insight clear and broad. So this is case number one of the Book of Equanimity or Book of Serenity. It's called The World Honored One Ascends the Rostrum. And the World Honored One is the Buddha. The main case, attention. One day, the World Honored One ascended the rostrum and took his seat. Manjushri struck the podium with his gavel and said, when you realize the Dharma King's Dharma the Dharma King's Dharma is just as it is. At that, the world honored one descended from the rostrum. The verse, do you see the true manner of the primal stage? Mother nature goes on weaving warp and woof. The woven old brocade contains the images of spring. Nothing can be done about the spring gods outflowing. Okay, so just to set the sort of stage here, Manjushri, to just for, as a reminder, Manjushri is the bodhisattva of wisdom. So the Buddha ascends the rostrum, takes his seat. Manjushri strikes the podium with his gavel. What he says is, when you realize the Dharma King's Dharma, the Dharma King's Dharma is just as it is. Now, apparently, traditionally, this was what was said at the end of Atesho, or at the end of when the Buddha gave his talk. Not at the beginning. But in this case, the Buddha takes his seat and Manjushri makes this announcement. At the beginning of a Teisho, or a Dharma talk by the Buddha, he would, as um, somebody would announce, illustrious disciples gathered here, listen to the first principle of the Dharma. Why did he announce the end of Teisho before the Buddha had even spoken? So he says, the Dharma King's Dharma is just as it is. 
One of the names of the Buddha is Tathagata. Tathagata. It means thus come one. The word thus, as far as I understand it, means kind of like in this way. In other words, things are this way. They just are as they are. So the Tathagata, the first part of that, Tata, means thus. And Agata is come. So thus come one. Someone who is completely here. Completely present. Now for us sitting here, <laughs> that's not so easy. Being present. And in fact, I think that being present can be particularly difficult um, because we're always in this state of seeking, looking, looking for something, wanting something. And this can be very subtle, this seeking mind. As the Buddha put it, we are seeking pleasure and avoiding pain. And this goes on habitually, outside of our awareness usually. And this seeking pleasure and avoiding pain in one way is the creation of self. In one way, you could say that what we're doing is always seeking um, homostasis. Isn't that that word? Homostasis from biology. Remember that term? For things to be sort of just right. I think of Goldilocks. She comes in, tests the soup. This one's too hot. This one's too cold. This one's just right. This bed is too hard. This bed is too soft. This bed is just right. But we know how the story of Goldilocks goes. As soon as she gets comfortable and goes to sleep, right? The bearers come home. The bears come home. There's never an end. As soon as we get it just right, as soon as we settle in and get ourselves just right, something always changes, always shifting. So the koan says, the world-honored one ascended to the rostrum and took his seat. And so I can imagine all the monks and lay people sitting there waiting for him to teach, waiting for him to talk. And yet he doesn't say anything. Why didn't he say anything? 
I can imagine that the audience must have been pretty perplexed. It's like going to hear a concert. You know, imagine going to hear a concert. You're all set, you got your ticket, you go in. The curtain opens, the lights come on, you're excited, and then the band just walks right off. The show's canceled. In the case of this uh, koan, the Buddha was teaching. The show was not canceled. In fact, it was a very profound teacher, teaching. But it's so easy to miss it. In another Zen story, a monk asked the national teacher Chu, what is the original body of Varochana? You could just say the Buddha. What is the original body of the Buddha? And the national teacher said, go and get me the water jug, would you? The monk went and got him the water jug. The national teacher said, now, can you go and put it back? The monk did so. And then again, asked, what is the body of Varachana? The national teacher replied, the old Buddha is long gone. Long gone. In other words, the monk had missed it. What did he miss? What did he miss? The passing of the water jug. Now go put it back. As we mature in practice, we begin to notice how much we miss when we're lost in our heads. How much we hmm, filter out. And, and it actually can be quite regretful and painful to wake up to that, to see how much we're missing out on. An easy place to notice that is when we're in conversation with somebody. Um, when you're in conversation with somebody, in, in an engaging conversation, how much time do you spend thinking about what you're going to say? while the other person's talking? Are you missing what they're saying? It doesn't just happen with conversations, of course. I had a conversation with a young woman who recently got into a relationship and she was complaining about this and that with this, this guy not knowing if this is the guy for her. Racked, just racked with anxiety about this relationship because she's at the point where she's done looking. She wants really to settle down. And she's spending a ton of time thinking about this guy's motives and, you know, is he going to be the one f to give me kids? And, and they just started dating. And so... What is she missing? Of course, we, 
want to plan and consider whether something's right for us or not. But in this case, she at one point realized that she's not even present with him. She's not even enjoying getting the getting to know process with this guy because she's so concerned about where the relationship is going to go in the future that she misses it. She's missing this very crucial part of developing a relationship. In the case of National Teacher Chu in The Monk, the monk was so busy looking for an answer that he missed it. How often do we miss what's being offered to us? Looking instead for what we imagine is an answer. So going back to the koan for today, the Buddha ascended the rostrum and took his seat. Taking the seat, of course, is the practice of zazen, just like we're doing here. Zazen, in its purest form, is not doing anything. Just breathing. On days like this, when we come together and sit, it can be such a relief. And on the other side, though, it can be quite challenging because I'm sure that all of us have a hundred things to do that we could think of. And from the outside, it can be looked at as quite strange what we're doing, sitting here, just breathing, taking a whole day and doing this practice. From the outside perspective, it can look like, well, what the heck are you guys doing anyway? What are you contributing? What are you adding to the world? But I think all of us would not be here if we didn't think on some, know on some level that there's a profound logic in this practice of not doing anything, just being. There's another story from Zen. One day, Weiyan was sitting and Master Shitao asked him, what are you doing? Weiyan said, I'm not doing anything. The master said, then you're just sitting idly? Weiyan said, if I were sitting idly, I'd be doing something. The master said, okay, you're not doing anything, but what is it that you're not doing? And Weiyan said, even a thousand sages don't know. Knowing is in the realm of doing things. How can there be knowing when there's nothing being done? In the koan today, the Buddha takes his seat with the activity of no activity, just sitting. It's a complete presentation.
in another uh, story with the Buddha, a non-Buddhist came to him and asked him, he said, I don't ask for words and I don't ask for no words. The Buddha just sat. And the non-Buddhist had an awakening. Or Master Lutsu. Every time, apparently, a student would come to see Master Lutsu, he would turn and face the wall and sit. In the Soto tradition, Zazen is done facing towards the wall. Every time a student would come and ask Mr. Uh, Master Lutsu a question, he would turn and face the wall. Complete presentation. But it doesn't need to just be sitting. Every time a student came to see Master Gute, he would hold up one finger. The whole universe contained in that one finger. Each and every action is revealing perfectly this truth. One of, the, one of the challenges, I think, that Buddhism faces when it's, as it's adapting to American culture is America's sort of insistence on radical individualism. Another way of putting it is how everything in our culture can be customized. Everything is customized. No pickles, extra cheese, Make it a large instead of a small. I'll take it in red. Actually, do you have burgundy? Yeah, I'll take it in burgundy. This, this customization. On one hand, it's, it's, it's an incredible sort of um, testament to our technology. But when we hear stories like Gute, with Gute or Lutsu, facing the wall or holding up a finger, are these, this modern sensibility, this customized sensibility that we have. We may bristle at stories like this because these masters are not tailoring the teaching to the individual. In other words, every time a student came to see Master Lutsu, he would face the wall. Every time a, ma a student would come to see Gute, he would hold up his finger. They're not meeting the individual in one sense where they're at. They're not customizing the teaching for the students. And to us, sometimes we can see this kind of teaching as rude. I mean, think about it. If a teacher, if you went and saw somebody and they just turned and faced the wall, what would be your reaction? But there's a wonderful teaching in this. Because in this way of approaching the Dharma, the Dharma is not being customized to us. We are being asked to meet the teaching. We're being asked to stretch beyond 
what we're comfortable with, with our individual personalities, and stretch into the teaching, rather than the teaching being tailored to our needs. And this is a pretty important, I think, skill. Because when we do that, we learn to broaden ourselves. Because otherwise, everything becomes narrowed. If you're used to having everything sort of customed, customized to your likings, what happens when that's not available? What happens to the ego when you don't get your way? And I think this is becoming more and more important as we, as a society, divide more, us into smaller and smaller groups based on our particular viewpoints, our particular um, political point of view, our po particular religious point of view, our particular um, tastes for things, we are dividing into smaller and smaller camps. And when we do that, I think what we stop doing is looking and seeing things as they are. We stop looking for understanding. We stop looking for bridging the gap between two people. I can have it my way. So, and there's three people that also won't see it my way. So I'm just gonna <coughs> kind of get centered and comfortable there. But then, don't we stop looking for beauty or understanding or peace or love or patience or seeing the humanity in somebody we disagree with? I think this kind of thinking really needs to be challenged through our practice. So, whether it takes the form of Shakyamuni silently sitting, or Manjushri, in this case, striking the podium with the gavel, whether it's the sound of the freezing rain outside, the leaves falling, or the air conditioner heater, or a diesel truck, Each and every thing is presenting our deepest nature. Each manifesting this unique presentation. In that way, with the koan, Manjushri striking the gavel isn't simply announcing the Buddha that the lecture is either coming or going, beginning or ending. Manjushri striking the gavel 
is itself the Teisho, the air conditioner, the sound of the heater, is itself the Dharma talk. But unless our minds are open enough, then we'll miss that. After Manjushri struck the gavel, he said, the dharmas, king's dharma, or we said, when you realize the Dharma King's Dharma, the Dharma King's Dharma is just as it is. Clear seeing. And to end, the poem, the verse that we read in the beginning, and by the way, at the, it's just uh, part of the tradition is that every koan has an introduction, a um, commentary, and a verse. And so this is the verse. Do you see the true manner of the primal stage? Mother Nature goes on weaving warp and woof. The woven old brocade contains the images of spring. Nothing can be done about the spring gods outflowing. Do you see the manner of the primal stage? What is the primal stage? What is the most primitive thing? What is the most basic, intrinsic thing? This is pointing to this emptiness before personality, before the arising of thoughts in the mind, the most primal no-thing, you could say. The poem goes on, Mother Nature goes on weaving warp and woof. I actually didn't know what that meant, warp and woof. It sounds silly, but uh, it actually is a weaving term. Uh, Warp is, I think, it's the horizontal threads, and the woof is the vertical threads, something like that. So Mother Nature goes on weaving horizontally and vertically. In other words, this complex fabric made up of individual threads all coming together into this one brocade, this old brocade No matter what we do, this dharma is here, is what it's saying. It's woven into everything. It's everything. Through and through. Nothing can be done about the spring god's outflowing. The spring god is Manjushri. Nothing can be done about his outflowing. What does it mean to outflow? The Buddha held fast. He sat in silence. 
the emptiness. Complete presentation. Manjushri struck the gavel. Outflowing. Manifesting in the world. Bringing it to life. Complete presentation. Emptiness is form. Form is emptiness. Together, you could say, they worked their presentation as a pair, together. Silence, emptiness, and form. So for the rest of today, that's our work. The silence of just sitting. And then we rise and we bring it into action, into form. And when we bring it into action, whether we're eating or walking or putting on our shoes, that that itself is emptiness. This com constant weaving of this tapestry of our life. So, why don't we continue this weaving together and stop here and recite the four Bodhisattva vows. <laughs> 